KFI AM 640, Bill Carroll, San Andreas. Should have called the movie Hayward. Oh, I might have tracked a few less people to the movie theater because everybody knows about the San Andreas Fault. But should we really be more concerned about this other fault, the one that produced a 4.0 magnitude earthquake in Fremont early Tuesday morning? A couple of earthquakes up around that area in the past week or so. And it is expected to produce a major earthquake any day now. Wait a second. That doesn't seem right. They can't predict earthquakes any day now. Brian, is this right? I've got this from the CBS website. Let's see. Let's dig into the CBS report here. Because this doesn't sound right. Maybe they've discovered a new way to predict earthquakes. It could be. Okay, here we go. I got the CBS thing. Do you have the volume up? No, he doesn't have the volume up. We need the volume up in here. Okay, CBS report. And scientists across the Bay agree on one thing. The Hayward Fault is overdue for a big one. They say any day now. 31% chance of having a magnitude 6.7 sometime in the next 30 years. They say any day now. 31% chance sometime in the next 30 years. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe they might not have quoted that exactly right. Now, if you do have a, whatever the percentage is, right, the 10% chance in the next 30 years, it could be, by the time I finish saying the sentence, it could happen, but it could also be 30 years from now, but it could also be 60 years from now. I think that's probably what they meant. Why don't I talk to Tom Broker, research geophysicist with the U.S. Geological Survey. Is the Hayward Fault expected to erupt any day now, Tom? Well, it could, but we we don't predict earthquakes. We don't know when it's going to produce that earthquake. Yeah, that's really the point, right? You're trying to, and that's maybe the misinterpretation is, yeah, any of these fault zones could erupt any day now or not for 100 years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, we know they're capable of producing very large and damaging earthquakes, but we haven't learned how yet to predict earthquakes. Tell me a bit about the Hayward Fault, though. Where is it? What kind of fault is it? Well, it's a strike-slip fault, like the San Andreas Fault, so it has side-to-side motion. And if you're in San Francisco and you're looking uh, across the bay towards the uh, East Bay Hills, um, it kind of runs along the base of the hills for almost 50 miles. So it starts way up north um, near the uh, uh, northern end of the bay, and it goes through Berkeley, Oakland, San Leandro, Hayward, Fremont, um, so it's not as long as the San Andreas Fault, but it's very dangerous fault because it's right in the middle of the Bay Area. Hmm. Now, does it run parallel to the San Andreas Fault? Yeah, it is parallel to the San Andreas Fault, and they're not that far apart. They're about um, 15 miles apart or so. Hmm. Does Does that mean anything specifically dangerous that they're that close? Could one uh, Could an earthquake on one fault trigger the other? We haven't seen that. You know, the, one of the reasons we know the Hayward Fault is dangerous is back in 1868, right after the Civil War, there was a big earthquake on the Hayward Fault uh, that was, at the time, it was called the Great San Francisco Earthquake. And it caused damage in San Francisco, killed 30 people or so, and it's one of the most uh, deadly earthquakes in California history. Um but it didn't produce, you know, we didn't see a, another big earthquake, say, on the San Andreas Fault at the time. And in the 1906 earthquake on the San Andreas Fault on the San Francisco Peninsula, we we didn't see a, a big earthquake on the Hayward Fault. 
Hmm. So, can go ahead. Do we know why those two faults exist and that they're so similar? Why why is the Earth fractured in two places that close? Do we know the mechanism that makes that happen? Um, not not for sure. I mean, some places the San Andreas Fault is pretty simple and basically just one line. And in the Bay Area, it seems to have split into several different faults, and they're all taking uh, they're all moving part of the Earth. Right. Northward. So in that way, they're related. They're part of the same movement of the same two plates. Yeah, that's right. That's right. how they're related. And we uh, we learned a lot after the movie San Andreas came out about the kind of earthquake that the San Andreas would produce, not one that was likely to cause those kinds of tsunamis and the, the large uh, right. gap in the earth. Is, would you say the same about the Hayward Fault? Because does it produce similar kinds of earthquakes? It it does, and it's almost all on land, so we don't expect it to produce any tsunami per se. And, uh, you know, earthquake fissures are, I think, way overblown. I don't think really there's any real proof that uh, people have died from the earth opening up. It doesn't really happen. Um, but that always is how it happens in the movies, right? It's always, it does. It opens it does. up and swallows I, I like buildings that. and people, and you have, yeah. to, you have to jump across it to save your child. And You do. But where does this idea come from then? I mean, usually the ideas that come up in fiction have some basis in fact. I mean, can that ever happen? Has it ever happened anywhere? Well, I, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but we've never seen it. In 1906, you know, in, in the San Francisco earthquake, there's a story that a farmer dragged an old dead cow from the field and put it into the fault zone as a joke. And somebody took a photo of it. And that's sort of where this story has come from. But I, I don't know for sure if that's right or not. Hmm. But it's just not how earthquakes generally work. Is, no, is you know, the ground stays, you know, the two sides of the fault, they stay pressed together by the weight of the earth. They don't. Yeah, the we Earth is really... not getting bigger, so the Earth isn't pulling no. apart. No, the, in the earthquake, the the, um, the western part of the the fault is moving northward. So, say in the 1868 earthquake, uh, Hayward moved a bit farther north than the East Bay Hills. Now, you talked about the previous uh, earthquake on the Hayward Fault, and people did die, but a small number. Of course, that was a long time ago, and San Francisco is a very different area now. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, you hope we've learned some lessons about building codes and stuff. How much more damaging would a, a big a big earthquake there be? Well, back in 1868, there were uh, like 100 times fewer people than there are now. So right now we have about 2.5 million people who are living really on or close by the Hayward Fault. So we have way, way more people who are going to experience strong shaking. But as you mentioned, the building codes are designed to keep us alive, and uh, they'll do a good job of that. But the building codes are not designed to make sure that your building will be useful after the earthquake. Right. It just, so you it just doesn't kill you. Your right. Yeah, it won't kill you, but you might not be able to use it. So the economic losses are uh, expected to be much higher than the loss of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen estimates anywhere from 100 to $200 billion dollars. Well, that's a lot. Uh, yeah, that's a big price tag for a Hayward Fault earthquake. Yeah, we saw during the World Series earthquake the shaking, and you, because you have uh, the ground, uh, what's it called, liquefaction, the, the the groundwater wells up, and so the shaking is exaggerated. San Francisco Bay is very vulnerable to that. Does the Hayward Fault, because of where it is, is it is it just as likely to cause that same problem, or is it 
more likely to impact people on the east side of the bay? Well, um, it's going to be have the biggest impact on the east side of the bay, but that 1868 earthquake was called the Great San Francisco Earthquake for 40 years because it did cause liquefaction and some fatalities in San Francisco. Because it's close enough that you're going to feel yeah, a lot of the enough. energy. Yeah, due to the geography of San Francisco, it actually kind of sticks out into the bay, and it lies halfway between the, the Hayward Fault and the San Andreas Fault. So it would be closer to San Francisco's downtown than yeah. uh, than a San Andreas earthquake would be to downtown L.A. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And we know that downtown L.A. would be impacted by a massive earthquake on the right. San Andreas. Now, can we take right. a break and come back and talk about the Cascadia subduction zone as well, which yes, people let's are do that. talking about, too? Okay. I mean, yeah. well, we're scaring people. Let's just go yeah, all the way, right? scare them all the way. I'm just trying to scare half of the people out of California to make a little more room for the rest of us. Tom Broker is a research geophysicist with the U.S. Geological Survey. Let's get an update from the KFI Newsroom. Here's... Bill Carroll. So, okay, what we've done is we've clarified the story that was floating around yesterday about the earthquake fault line, the Hayward Fault up in the Bay Area that was going to erupt any day now. Okay, we know that that's possible, but that's not really what the facts show. We can't predict earthquakes, but yeah, there will be big earthquakes on that Fault line, and there have been before, and they just gave their statistical odds of that happening, and uh, the media kind of jumped all over it. The New Yorker has published a very scary story as well about a Northwest Cascadia subduction zone earthquake and tsunami. Big and very big quakes are coming to the Pacific Northwest. Well, nothing sells online or uh, in a newspaper stand. They do still have those, uh, like a headline that says, big and very big quakes are coming. I mean, it makes me want to. To read on. And Tom Broker is uh, kind of clarifying some of this stuff for us. He's a research geophysicist with the U.S. Geological Survey. Now, this is a funny one for me because uh, growing up in Canada, this particular fault is talked about a lot there because it's really one of the few they have to worry about. They don't have as many other faults to worry about. But but the Cascadia subduction zone isn't talked about quite so much in this country, is it? No, it's not, and uh, maybe California gets all the attention in the San Andreas Fault. Right. Uh, also because but, we have the kind of those daily little earthquakes, the earth is always moving a little here, and it's a bit quieter up in that part of the world? That's true. That's true. They have far fewer earthquakes than we do. But they Lucky still them, can have huh? – yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that can give you a false sense of security because you're, you're in an earthquake zone and you don't know it. That's exactly right. And in fact, the Cascadia subduction zone that you mentioned wasn't really discovered until about 30 years ago, which is pretty late in the game. Most of the subduction zones we'd known about. And uh, we knew about this uh, Cascadia subduction zone, but since there are no earthquakes there, people were saying, well, it's dead. It's not moving. It's not, not causing any earthquakes. Is but, it the uh, same area that I read a couple of months ago? Just remembered it now, and have looked it up ahead of time. But they were doing, uh, they were listening with undersea devices, and they were saying the scariest thing about these zones is they're hearing nothing at all, instead of hearing a slow grinding of the plates coming together. Yeah, that suggests that the the faults are just locked up, and so they're accumulating all the stress from the plates moving. And so when they 
do have an earthquake, it'll be a big one. Because that's a good thing, right? If you live near an earthquake fault uh, line, and almost all of us do in Southern California, when they say it's moving slowly and consistently, that's probably better news than it's jammed up. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we have both kind of faults in the Bay Area, uh, and you do too in Southern Cal, uh, where we have some faults that are creeping at a pretty good clip, and so they they're a little less. They produce earthquakes uh, less often than the fa- and and smaller earthquakes than the faults that are locked up. So tell me, what is the Cascadia subduction zone? Where is it, and how dangerous is it? Well, it lies offshore, uh, Northern California. Oregon, Washington, and uh, British Columbia, Vancouver Island. So it runs about um, six or 700 miles. So it's a very long fault. Um, it's dangerous because these big subduction zones produce very large earthquakes. We saw one, the most recent one was in Japan in 2011, the magnitude 9, uh, that produced a big tsunami. And that's the, that's the same sort of of size that we're expecting on the Cascadia subduction zone. And the last time that happened um, was in January of 1700. And they happen, on average, again, there's very uncertain, you know, intervals. Um, but they ha- on average, they happen around every 500, 600 years apart. And did, did they create tsunamis in that part of the world? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's how we, that's how we have an estimate for how often... Um, they happen is that we can find the tsunami deposits that they've previous earthquakes have left behind. Mm. And would the tsunami affect all the way down the California coast? Um, they would, um, by but they, they'd have the strongest impacts on the northern northern end of the state. Right, and maybe even up into Alaska would it push water up that way too? Yeah, and and we know about the the uh, earthquake in 1700. We know the date because it, the tsunami caused damage in Japan. In fact, it killed people in Japan. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to us about it. I appreciate it. Sure. Okay. Better get better get that earthquake kit back. Yeah. Up to good date. time for that. Thank you, Tom. Okay. Tom Broker, research geophysicist with the U.S. Geological Survey, on a couple of big stories about earthquake and. Potential earthquakes that are in the news lately. All right. So coming up next, Gloria Allred is going to join us. She, uh, she's got Bill Cosby's back up against the wall. The difference is he's not drugged or anything. So she's not going to do anything, but it's going to be a very interesting uh, case. We'll get, she'll get us up to date on that coming up. But first from the KFI. Things are just not going very well for Bill Cosby lately. They haven't been going well for him in a while, but with those old depositions coming out, this looks worse and worse for him. And now another legal battle lost. I'm not saying he's lost the legal war, but he certainly lost this legal battle. KFI AM 640, Bill Carroll. Yeah, he's trying to fend off a lawsuit accusing him of sexually abusing a 15-year-old girl at the Playboy Mansion back in the 70s, 1974. The California Supreme Court denied his petition to review the case yesterday. And uh, the accuser's lawyer is Gloria Allred, who's waiting to join me right now and talk about what this means and explain it to us. Uh, The litigation brought by Judy Huth, who's in her 50s now, will go ahead. And uh, Bill Cosby may have to sit down and face Gloria Allred within the next 30 days. 
Gloria is, do we have her yet? Is she on the line? She, uh, I think she was in court earlier. So we're just promised to call us here at, at 1235 and it's 1234 and a half. So, you know, we could still be a few seconds behind. Anyway, she said she's looking forward to him answering questions under oath at his deposition. I wonder if he'll be as t- a testy as he was at his last deposition all those years ago. I would think he's going to be a lot more cautious. Okay, she's on TV right now. She's just wrapping up a TV interview. Oh, those TV guys always keep people late. I don't think there's a lot left in the court of public opinion for Bill Cosby. I think most people have kind of made up their mind one way or the other. And anyone who's off on the fence, they've been kind of pushed off the fence recently. That deposition was so damning. Even Whoopi. She used to be his good defender, good friend. And even she said, yeah, you know what? It looks really bad. Took her a long time, though, didn't it? Way too long, in my opinion, yeah. What does it take? Do you like Libby? Do you like their defense? Which is kind of, well, just because he admitted giving people quaaludes doesn't mean that he's, you know, used it to sexually assault them. The argument seems to be like quaaludes were just kind of like the alcohol of the time. Hey, you want to... You want, you want to smoke a joint? You want to take some quaaludes? Totally normal. I like him, too, in the deposition saying, I can read women, and I know as they were walking away, they were not upset. They didn't feel like they were raped. Really, dude? Really? I wonder, though, the argument really is kind of like, it's just like they got drunk. Well, getting a woman drunk deliberately and then taking advantage of her when she's really drunk, it's still a crime. Using a tool like that to take advantage of another human being, I mean, where does that not make sense in his head as being rape? Gloria Allred is now on the line with us, and uh, she's finished up that TV interview. Thanks for joining us, Gloria. Good to talk to you again. Well, to you, too. Thank you so much for inviting me. Explain a little bit about what the California Supreme Court, what were they dealing with, and what does the ruling mean? Well, uh, this was a uh, petition for review filed by Mr. Cosby. He's been attempting to block us from moving forward on the case uh, where we represent Judy Huff against him. And in our case, of course, uh, we are alleging that Mr. Cosby committed acts of sexual misconduct uh, on her at the Playboy Mansion when she was only 15 years old. Uh, so that was his, he, he tried at the lower court to, you know, have the case prevented from moving ahead. He was unsuccessful. He filed a writ of mandate with the California Court of Appeals, again, unsuccessful. Uh, we took over the case. We are her new, were her new attorneys. He, we were going to take his deposition at my office on June 26th. And then because he filed a petition for review with the California Supreme Court, we were not able to proceed with the deposition. Can you explain but, to me, Gloria, uh, what was their argument? What, how were they arguing for the case to stop and not go ahead? Well, he argued that the law did not allow our client to cure uh, alleged procedural irregularities in the filing of the lawsuit by a previous attorney who was not associated with our firm who represented her when she filed the case. Um, but, you know, we allege if there were any irregularities, they were cured. Um, and so, in any event, this is what he was, uh, these were arguments that he was making. And, uh, but the Supreme Court did not grant review of this case. So now we can move ahead. And just this morning... Uh, and this is, just so we're clear, Gloria, this isn't the same as a criminal case. There's no statute no. of limitations. Well, no. There, this is a civil lawsuit. This is not a criminal case. There will not be a criminal prosecution 
uh, as a result of the allegations of Ms. Huff because there is a different time limit in California for criminal prosecution uh, where there's an allegation of child sexual abuse than there is for a civil case. In other words, there is a shorter period of time in order to uh, proceed with a criminal prosecution, and so therefore the district attorney of L.A. County has indicated she's not going to proceed with any charges against Mr. Cosby because uh, the statute of limitations prevents her from doing so. That's not a decision on the merits of what Ms. Huff had to say to the detectives from the Special Victims Unit, and I had her interviewed by the police. Uh, that's not a that's not a statement about that. It's just it's too late. However, it's not too late for us to proceed with a civil lawsuit on behalf of Ms. Huff. Uh, she is the plaintiff uh, because she is within the time limit uh, to proceed with that case. All right, Gloria Allred is our guest, and we're talking about this decision by the California Supreme Court. So basically, this lawsuit is going to go ahead, and that means Gloria, you or someone from your office can sit down with Bill Cosby and depose him, ask him questions about Well, and that's what I was saying is just this morning I sent out a notice to his attorneys with the date, which will be in August, and I'm not going to give the exact date, but the date, the time, and the place where we seek to take Mr. Cosby's deposition in this case. We're entitled to do so, and now we'll see whether Mr. Cosby uh, is going to appear for his death. Uh, deposition. My client, Judy Huff, is ready, willing, and able to have her deposition taken. She's ready to testify under oath. And we'll have to see whether Mr. Cosby is, is ready, willing, and able to do that. Uh, and is he, he legally appear, obligated to? Pardon me? What are the consequences if he doesn't? Well, um, I mean, he could go to court and he could seek to have it continued. He would have to show good cause, like a health reason or whatever, but then there's going to be a specific date set for him to have to sit for his deposition, even if it's not the date that we noticed. And we would like to take it as soon as possible. If there's no good cause and he just decides that, you know what, I'm not showing up, uh, then, uh, then we're going to seek sanctions. Because if he fails to appear without court permission, then we can file a motion for sanctions. Uh, and there, for example, we can seek an order that he's in contempt of court if he doesn't show. Uh, we could seek, when he files an answer to the complaint, we can seek to have that stricken. Um, he would not be able to, uh, he would not be able to testify at trial if he doesn't sit for his deposition. He would not be able to uh, present witnesses in his defense. Uh, so uh, there are very serious sanctions for someone not showing up without court permission once a deposition is properly noticed. So, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to expect him to appear. And if he doesn't appear, then you know, we'll take whatever action is legally appropriate under the circumstances. Talking to Gloria Allred. Of course, you, you, there are consequences if he doesn't appear, but that doesn't mean he has to give you very precise answers. I mean, listening or reading about the depositions that he's done earlier on similar cases, uh, it sounds like he'll do a lot of just evade and say, I don't really remember. And that, that's going to be pretty frustrating for you, isn't it? Well, I, I'm not frustrated. I'm, I'm used to people... Uh, Including celebrities having their depositions taken, you know, in our in the cases because, uh, you know, as I often said, and I've been quoted saying to his attorney Marty Singer, you know, that you represent the Hollywood bad boys, I represent the women they hurt, and you know, we're used to people uh, in often celebrities, you know, trying to kind of dance around questions. 
but I'm a very direct person, as I'm sure you have noticed. I have noticed that, yeah. And I like direct answers, okay? And I don't suffer people trying to avoid and evade and dancing around, obfuscating. Um, you know, we're gonna we're just gonna keep asking until we get the answers that we are entitled to get. They're entitled to object, and there was a lot of objecting going on in the 2005 deposition um, by his attorneys. But you know, so we'll have our battle royal over questions that we ask him and answers that he either wants to give or won't give, or you know, we'll do battle in a in a very professional way, and then we'll see where we are on this. But. The next point is that he needs to appear for his deposition. And we won't get to see or hear about that deposition for some time afterwards. Well, uh, we'll have to see whether he appears. And if he doesn't appear, um, my sense is that, that uh, people will know about that. Thank you, Gloria. Appreciate okay, the thank you. Bye-bye. Gloria Allred from Allred, Morocco, and Goldberg. She's going to sit down. And look Bill Cosby in the eye and ask him some pretty tough questions. How much would you pay to be there for that? I put a couple of bucks down on that. Libby, how much? Hundred bucks? Two hundred bucks? I thousand bucks? Her? I, I seriously, I would bet on that. Well, I wouldn't want to face her. I'd rather she's my attorney than than going up against my attorney. I just That's ever sure. since Tiger Woods, I cannot get enough of Gloria Allred. I think she's fantastic. Well, you'll you'll never have to worry about that. There will always be plenty of Gloria Allred. While she's alive, she'll be out there. Okay, so let's get an update on what else is going on. From the KFI Newsroom, here's Libby. What? No, they, they weren't insulted because the press misinterprets my words. Yeah, you know that press always misinterpreting your words. KFI AM 640. Bill Carroll, I'm standing by what I said yesterday. I'm happy Donald Trump is in the race. He makes it entertaining and interesting. And while I think he goes too far, he does have a point about some of the things he talks about, especially illegal immigration. I don't think that the number of people who come into the country illegally who are dangerous, I don't think the number is as big as he thinks it is. But come on, we should have closed borders. And if you come to the country illegally, you should have to leave. That's pretty simple. Anyway... The Border Patrol agents were all excited about their meeting with him because he was heading to the border, and he was he's on his well. I guess he's there now. And uh, we talked to them yesterday, and they said, "Yeah, they're they're really they got a point they're going to make to him, and they're happy to have him and happy to have the attention." Except they dumped him. The Border Patrol dumped Trump. The union that offered to give him a tour canceled just hours before. But when we talked to the national guy about it yesterday, he, he sounded like he was pretty excited. You know, I'm happy anytime uh, any uh, figure on a, the national stage is coming to the border and uh, bringing attention to border security and to uh, immigration issues. I, I think it will be. Um, you know, our, our local is the, the one that's uh, involved with it down there. Uh, our national union, we're not involved with it. But um, Sean Moran, vice president. So, yeah, so I guess maybe the local union decided they didn't want to talk to him. Uh, I'm a bit surprised. I would have thought they wanted the attention. Maybe they figure it's just too negative. There's too much downside with that one. Always with Trump. Whoever's in his path, there's too much downside. Well, he doesn't agree with you, Libby. In (laughs) fact, he he, he, he believes his position on immigration and his visit to the border is going to win him the Hispanic vote. 
These are his words, not mine. You're looking very skeptical. They just did a big poll in Nevada, the state of Nevada. And I'm way ahead. And more importantly, as far as I'm concerned, I'm way, way ahead with the Hispanics, well into the 30s, which uh, and I think second is like 11. So uh, I, I have a great relationship. Over the years, thousands and thousands of Hispanics have worked for me and now work for me. And the relationship is very good. There are definitely people in the country legally who resent illegal immigration, too, who are Hispanic. But Certainly. Okay. But uh, is he talking overall with Hispanic yeah, what... voters total? I mean, he must be selecting a very narrow band. Well, he explains why he's winning with them. I win all over with the Hispanic vote because they know I'll take jobs back from China. I'll take jobs back from Japan and every other country that's killing us. I'll bring the jobs back. And, you know, the Hispanics are going to get those jobs and they're going to love Trump. And they already do. When they're not raping people. I mean, to just follow his own logic. <laughs> right. One minute they're all criminals. The next minute they'll be happy to have the jobs. You but gotta maybe talk separating. more in the third person too. As a, as a presidential candidate, you just have to continue with the third person talk because it really brings your point home when you say you, they're, they're going to love Trump, they're going to love Carol. Well, here's what Bill Carroll thinks about that. <laughs> did you did you see yesterday? By the way, he said uh, that he'll be more presidential when he gets the job. He understands that this is you know this is just a this is just a campaign. What would you do with the 11 million undocumented immigrants who are already here? The first thing we have to do is but strengthen our borders, and after that, that we're going to have plenty what, of time to talk about it. But thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Oh, no answer for that, Donald. Thank you. That's kind of a big question. Left it hanging out there. You want to be president, you got to answer those questions. Hey, Thompson Espinosa is you coming can up always, next. You can skillfully evade the question, too. Oh, that wasn't very skillful. No, he just left the room. Yeah. Uh, One way to handle it. We are talking about police pursuits, police pursuits on the rise in L.A. You know, you'd think that they'd get the message, but... That they're never going to get away? Well, that's the interesting thing. There's a reason they're running. A bunch of people are getting away from the cops in those pursuits, and we'll give you the percentage. It's kind of wild. I didn't yeah. realize so many do get away. It never seems to happen when I'm watching it on TV. KKL9. Yeah, and you know, you always hear, you know, they'll never get away. You know, it's a bad bet when you run from the cops. Well, apparently it's not a super bad bet. Maybe it's just a bad bet when you're on TV and the helicopter's following you. Maybe maybe not every every pursuit is followed by helicopters. I always say, you know, when it's a nighttime pursuit and they've got that light over them, and then the guys, to get out of the light, who are running from the cops, pull under an overpass, I always say that's the worst thing you can do now because your only friend was that light. Now you're under the under... If, if, if I'm a cop, hey, guess what? <laughs> Why is the friend, your only friend the light? Because when they bust you, now we're all watching, and it's oh, sort of like, yeah, we point. can make sure they don't do anything that's not to code. Unless I you're see a your horse logic. thief and you're yeah. running in the desert, then doesn't matter if there's a helicopter over you. Exactly. You're saying oh, you want that witness in the eye in the sky right. to, make sure, to make sure they have to take after you back you, to jail before they beat you. Yeah, after you take yeah. the cops on a joyride for four hours, uh, everybody's <laughs> a little pumped up. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, we have that. More people are running from the cops than ever. So we'll talk about that. Also, we'll get into some, uh, we got a lot of other stories that affect uh, Southern California life here in SoCal. We'll get into All that coming next. up next on Thompson. A lot Espinosa. of show, Bill. Bill Carroll, KFI AM 640.